1: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm going to be bringing you homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God dwells in every nook and cranny. At least we try to remember that as the wind howls through our house, revealing drafty spots we didn't know existed this week. Here, life could do with being more ordinary. We're always busy these days, and this week has been particularly frantic. Each week, I encourage a member of the public to join me for part of the show. I offer them tweeting promises and other social media goodies, and they come willingly to talk about aspects of family life, which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. Yes, that's my English accent you're hearing, though I've lived in the Lone Star State half my life. I can't bring myself to say y'all yet. After the first break, I'll be welcoming back Steve Richards, whose insights about home-based learning in England brings a whole new cultural aspect to the world of parenting. This afternoon, our topic's going to be about flexi-schooling, which isn't quite what it sounds like. I'm going to finish my reflection on how we distinguish between school and non-school days, the furor of a trip to New York, and the difference between pain and suffering. Not as heavy as it sounds, so take a sip of your tea or coffee, sit down, and let's enjoy our weekly hour together. Everyone, except me it seemed, knew the clock sprung forward this past weekend. It took a late night call from my school teacher daughter, who's always on the ball, to alert us to the fact and we had to wander around the house checking American calendars for confirmation and changing the time since there had been no announcement at church and they always say something from the pulpit or print a reminder in the bulletin. My English date books say March 31st as the date which is three weeks away. No wonder I've been thrown for a loop. While I was at home in the land of my birth, I talked about the increase in daylight on those fair shores from 8 hours to 17 hours during the summer. So, what difference can one hour possibly make? The history of daylight savings goes back to World War I and Lloyd George, who didn't want children walking to school in the dark. Within a month, the natural light catches up anyway, so why not just start school an hour later? Plus, Is daylight really being saved, as the phrase suggests? Perhaps a little electricity is saved, but who's nabbing daylight and stashing it away somewhere to bring out on a dark and gloomy winter's day? All that to say, it completely threw me off because I had a couple of interviews with people across the pond and the time change had my schedule all cattywankers. I got it sorted out, but not without some scrambling on both sides of the Atlantic. Thanks. Fellow scramblers. So, with the clock changes, does that mean spring's upon us? I should have hundreds of daffodils blooming in my garden. Aren't they supposed to multiply each year? I've had them for decades. Instead, I have one. All the rest are just leaves, no glowing yellow blooms. This happens every few years. It must have something to do with nutrients or lack of them, or the dreadful drought we had last year, which has left my whole garden looking like an arid scene from the Old Testament. Shame I can't buy bunches of them as easily here as in England. Last year, they brightened up the flat with their golden glow. But instead, I'm enjoying the cardinal family with their splashes of red and orange. And they are a loud couple of families this year. One sits in the tree right outside our bedroom window and calls forth the sun earlier and earlier. His song can be heard for miles, I'm sure. And the mockingbird seems louder too, perhaps my hearing's getting better. During Lent, we've just had the fourth Sunday when all the clergy wear pink and in England it's Mother's Day. Funny that, a movable feast directly related to a church season. My blue-eyed cowboy and I go to Stations of the Cross and we stay to hear our favourite priest give a talk. This week he did just that because he usually extemporises he had a lot to say so he read from his notes his topic for Lent are the final words of jesus and this week they were eli eli lama sabachthani matthew 27 verse 46 my god my god why hast thou forsaken me he was quoting jesus that is from the first verse of psalm 22 in case you're wondering Thus, we began an exploration into the pain and suffering he went through to fulfill his father's wishes and save us for eternal life. We explored suffering caused by physical pain, for example, arthritis, painful, and being unable to pick up one's grandchild causes suffering. This got my cowboy and I thinking, can there be suffering without physical pain? Our priest said when people are tortured multiple times, they go into a state of disconnect so that they don't actually feel the pain. They emotionally pull themselves away from the physical, as- physical aspect of the torture. Schizophrenia was a similar condition, separating one's mental suffering from what was happening to the body. Christ suffered mentally while training his disciples for three years. The knowledge that they weren't getting it, arguments about who would be the greatest in heaven, comments about bringing in the tanks must have caused Jesus immense angst. During his passion, he suffered physical pain at the hands of the soldiers and hanging on the cross. When we look at Christ's beaten, crucified body, let's remember his pain was both physical and emotional. His suffering was both from the pain of his broken body and the pain of not being understood by his closest friends. Forgive them, he asked his father, for they know not what they do. Luke 23 verse 34, for even after three years, they didn't. And it all fell into place three days later, but that's yet to come. And we had a surprise visitor for a couple of days, our grand dog, Buddy. For those of you who don't know or have forgotten, Buddy is a perfect golden lab with a crooked black nose as if he'd run into a wall when he was a frisky young year old. His parents started leaving him with us after we lost the last member of our menagerie of pets and we enjoyed spending time with him for a weekend or even a week knowing we could give him back in exchange for a bottle of wine or two. Since we've returned from England we've not had the pleasure of his company mainly because his siblings, the children of our friends, are old enough to have their own apartments or be left behind to look after our bud buddy. But not this week. We had him for two whole days And I had a leash and was able to take him with me on my long walks, which was a little disconcerting because the leash was one of those retractable ones that I'd never used before. And I wasn't sure whether he knew about roads. And I couldn't remember whether he liked or disliked other dogs when we got to the park and he encountered a couple off their leashes. I didn't let him off because I didn't want to risk his escape. How would I break the news to his parents that I'd been careless and lost their dog? But I soon got the hang of the leash, Buddy's pretty docile, and um, we trotted around the drained pond several times before following a pathway to the swings to break the monotony of a round and round the three-quarters of a mile path. I wasn't going to let Buddy swing, that's dangerous, but there was a large stretch of green he could explore, and, well, when I turned the corner, two ball games were going on, and a lady was playing fetch with her Alsatian who decided to forego his game to come and check Buddy out. Before we go any further, I need to remind you about Buddy's idiosyncrasy where tennis balls are concerned, or baseballs for that matter. He'll fetch one ball really well but won't put it down without another being produced. Then you have to grab the dropped ball quickly to cover it with your foot And because once you release the second ball, he grabs the first one. He's as quick as lightning and dashes off to retrieve the other ball and realize his doggy ambition to have two, sometimes even three, tennis balls in his mouth at once. So here we are embraced by ball heaven in his eyes. Well, he was excited, not only airborne balls to chase, but another dog to play or fight with. I didn't know. I tried controlling him without using a harsh voice, but he turned a deaf ear and yanked me off my feet and the nylon leash ran fast along my tightly closed fingers and I swear drew blood, but I was too intent on scrambling to my feet to catch my wayward dog, running pell-mell through the young baseball players in white and then changing course when he felt the breath of Mr. Alsatian on his hind quarters. I was too busy to pay close attention to my nylon rope burn or maybe even laceration. I have to admit, the owner was very thoughtful, the owner of the Alsatian, that is, asking if I wanted to come past. Her dog was not on a leash, and I can't remember seeing a sign releasing owners from their obligation to keep their dogs restrained. Oh, well, he was obedient, which is more than I can say for my hound. I managed to leash him in, and we went back the way we'd come, with Buddy glancing back over his shoulder with sad eyes. All those balls just waiting to be gathered. We returned to the monotonous rounds of a deserted, empty pond. The next day, I'm happy to report our walk was uneventful, as I didn't take him on the loop to the swings. I managed to wear him out, though, and I think he was happy to go home. And, oh yes, the leash burn didn't draw blood, but it did hurt. Here's a teeny little bit of wedding news for the week. I spoke to my brother over the weekend, and he said he and the boys were coming Oh, by the way, he's in England. Now, I told him back in October to book flights if he thought he could come, and here he is, three weeks out, making the final decisions, which include asking his ex-wife when he gets the boys' freester and can he have their passports. The two of them were against the boys' travelling because of fingerprinting, but I'm guessing that's gone by the wayside. My brother asked if I had a house full, and I said no, and he told me he'd get back to me with dates, which he hasn't yet. He did ask for advice on booking flights, He said the last time he'd flown, it had been pre-internet. That must have been 99 or something. My blue-eyed one had a quick look online to see availability and price, just curiously nosy, and the costs are prohibitive. Our daughter said, don't tell him. It may put him off trying to come. All the children do so want to see him and the boys on their own turf for a change. Hopefully, I'll know more next week. I told you crazy times in our house. Isn't it amazing how one event can cause so much disruption? It's almost time for me to go on a break. And when I return, I'll be welcoming back Steve Richards, who has been on twice before to talk about home education in England. Steve and his wife are founding members of one of the homeschool groups there called Home Service. He's spoken widely on the topic of home-based learning in the United Kingdom and overseas and both he and his wife Lynn are directors of Northstar Worldwide, a community of students and tutors who use the internet to learn and study together. As a couple they homeschooled their own children and through their involvement with Northstar Worldwide they're able to offer first-hand support and resources to homeschooling families all over the world. Steve has had extensive school-based experience having been a head teacher at several learning institutions and throughout his career he's written about the education system in England. Today, we'll be talking about flexi-schooling in Britain, what it means, and how the Department of Education advises that it contradicts the principle that schools are funded for full-time education, not part-time. So I'll be back with Steve Richards in just a moment. Don't go far.
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these.
1: Hi everybody,
2: this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks
1: off the latest Beatles release on this radio station?
2: Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix.
0: Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
1: Well, good afternoon, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me today.
2: My pleasure, Vivian. As as always, good to talk to you.
1: Well, thank you. Um, We just talked a little bit about... um, uh, flexi-schooling the last time we were together, which really wasn't too, too long ago. And um, I have been reading something in the newspapers um, about it in Britain. The government is um, interfering again, if you might say. And um, would you please, let's let's go over what flexi-schooling really is, because it doesn't mean that, you know, we can be flexible with our homeschool within our home. It means something quite different um, there, especially in, in Britain. So tell us what it means.
2: Okay, well, well pu- putting it very simply, the idea is that children can um, attend uh, a government-funded school for part of their formal education and can have the remaining part of their formal education at home um, or indeed elsewhere at a local college or something of that sort. Um, it's it's a model which has has not been used greatly in the UK, but it has been available under British law for at least the last twenty or thirty years. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the reason it's not been used greatly is actually not because there is a lack of demand, but actually because um, there are there are, there aren't that many head teachers who are comfortable with implementing the idea. And I guess there are a number of teachers as well who just see it as messy. It's, you know, how do we work things in when when the children are here sometimes and they're not here at other times. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, tell me this then. At first you said that your children can attend a government-funded school for part of their education and do school at home for part of their education. And Mm -hmm. immediately I'm thinking, okay, so... Maybe their first few years, from kindergarten until they're about nine or ten, they're going to be at home, and then you you, you send them away to send them to school. But that's not the case. This, this it's different to that, isn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely. The, the idea is that uh, you, you would during a typical week. Um, you would contract to send your children into school for a certain amount of that week uh, and you'd have them at home or elsewhere for the other part of the week. And that and that would be a, a contractual thing whereby, let's say, you've, set, you've decided to send them in for 50% of the time. They, they would go in for 50% of the time that that school is open. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other 50%, they would be elsewhere.
1: Okay, so... Um if you decided that you would wanted to keep your child home, say, on a Friday, you would always have to keep your child home on a Friday. You couldn't say, well, this week it's more suitable for me to do it on a Wednesday.
2: Uh, no, most definitely not. I think that uh, most school teachers, understandably, um, would have something akin to a, an educational nervous breakdown if yeah. um, children were turning up unexpectedly. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay, so this is something. And so uh, a school, say, you said that not all schools are embracing this completely. And I can understand, um, you know, because really something would have to be implemented because they would have to take into consideration that some of these children aren't doing all of the classes mm-hmm. five days a week. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, th- that they would have to make some considerations for that or just send the homework home. And that's what they do on their days at home. Mm-hmm. So, um, a school, say, that's doing this, that's open to this, would they have several children that would all not go to school, say, on a Wednesday and Thursday?
2: I think the reality is that there are there – are, even though this, this um, model was, was accepted in law some time ago, the numbers of students who have been flexi-schooled has always been tiny in the UK. Yeah. Um, I I think that um, it's never been regarded as um, a serious mainstream option, simply because most schools um, aren't prepared to entertain it. The reality is that in most cases where schools have entertained it, it's been in particular situations where um, the individual cases regarding the particular children has actually led to a situation where dare one say it's actually in the school's interest not to have the child there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that if a parent was to turn up at the door and, and, and say to a school, "I'm thinking of flexi schooling. Will you take my child two days a week or three days a week?" Um, most schools are likely to say, "No, mm-hmm. it's all or nothing." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but you're, you're you're not suggesting that maybe some of these children might be troublemakers.
2: Well, far far be it from me to sort of suggest that a school would behave in that way (laughs) simply because a child was was a bother. Yeah. But um, teachers and heads are are human beings like the rest of us, Mm -hmm. um, and um, it it might be easier to make that decision when one's got a child who is more challenging maybe.
1: Okay, okay. Um, Yeah. Well, not every – so these these parents that do this flexi-schooling, they wouldn 't be considered really as full time home educators, or are they trying to do home education full time but their their jobs or their financial situation just doesn 't allow it?
2: it It could well be that yes yeah. absolutely yeah. Um, or it could or it could be that um, one has a child who 's got particular learning difficulties okay. um, um, and uh, actually, as part of the package of, of care that child needs, being at home with, with mum or dad or whoever might be significantly beneficial to that child.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I read somewhere that the government was worried that these children that were um, going to be or were flexi-schooling, and, and and as you say, there really isn't a great deal of them, great number of them, uh, they were frightened about hot housing. What 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 exactly does that mean there?
2: Well, um, clearly, the, the numbers who are engaged in flexi schooling must be greater than I suspected because it has drawn the attention um, of our of our government's Department for Education, mm-hmm. um, who has been, you know, and they've become rather concerned about this whole thing. Um, hot housing is simply where um, children, where parents who have children who they think are. Um, profoundly gifted and talented in a, way, in a very, very excellent way, um, those parents are eager to prod those children on so that they will be ready to take their public exams significantly earlier than their peers would. Uh, again, it, it's something which rears its head from time to time, and, and it has popped up again um, of late, that there, there are, that there are concerns about hot, hot housing children.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, you know, I suppose I read also that the schools are funded to educate children full time between the age of five to sixteen, and that kind of gets thrown off kilter when they've got part time children in the schools.
2: Uh, Well, there there is some truth in that. Although, having said that, I mean, I worked in a school a few years ago where. the children who were 14, 15, 16 um, were sent to the local college to do, some of them were sent to the local college to do more vocational qualifications, um, carpentry, uh, car mechanics, um, uh, health and beauty, those sorts of things okay. uh, for one or two days a week. Mm-hmm. And what happened there was that this, that the college uh, invoiced the school and the school used some of the money that they'd been allocated to cover those costs. Um, this, this isn't sort of simply something which is particularly uh, simply orientated towards parents who are flexi-schooling this is a model which schools are happy to embrace um, when it suits them
1: mm-hmm. so and that's that's for the higher end you know the the, yeah. the yeah. Ch- students who are looking towards finishing school at 16 anyway and not going onto that university track yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. um well i also um Flexi-schooling contradicts the principle of full-time education in a school. The the government or the Department of Education seems to say you either educate your child at home or you choose to educate your child at school. You Mm. really can't do both or blend both. Mm -hmm. Okay, carry on. No, you go. um,
2: in, In British law, it's education which is compulsory, not schooling. Um, I mean British law makes that very very clear um, which is why we have some of the most generous um, uh, home education legislation in the world Mm -hmm. Um, education is compulsory if a parent is providing education other than attending a school then they're satisfying their legal requirements the 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 Secretary of State for Education has got involved in this whole debate because when a child is registered to attend a school, um, they should be attending that school full time. Mm-hmm. What's happened in the past is that if a child is, for example, at college um, or, for example, um, on flexi-schooling, the head of that school has taken the, a, a broadly sensible view and said, well, they're receiving their education at, a, at another location. Um, and that fits in with the statutory requirements saying that a child must receive an education. Um, the Secretary of State has decided to apply the the schooling legislation much more rigidly uh, than his predecessors have in this area. And in the end, it'll be down to the courts to decide whether it's the Secretary of State who's right, or actually whether um, general British or English law is correct.
1: Okay, so at the moment, it's it's okay, but now they're trying to nitpick and say, okay, but you cannot pick and choose. You can't put your child in school sometime and keep them at home sometime and it has to be one place or another.
2: Basically yes. yes. Uh, the, the, the thing which 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 personally I find most perverse in all of this mm-hmm. is that uh, I mean we have although we have a coalition government, it's predominantly a conservative government. The Conservatives are committed to what might be called small government less government intervention than uh, the previous Labour government was committed to. And yet we have a Secretary of State for Education who is, uh, it seems, hell-bent on meddling at every opportunity um, and, and uh, leaving his mark on the system, rather than simply saying, "Let's leave the system, get on with it." Whether it's home educating parents or whether it's head teachers, let's leave them do what they what they've actually been appointed to do. Mm. Uh, it, it, it does it does cause me considerable angst, to be perfectly frank, um, that we have a government um, that is that is committed to this. He's behaving much more like a Labour Secretary of State than a, than a Conservative.
1: Mm. And it doesn't seem as though it's that big an issue. It's just it's just kind of um, narrowing it down to just homeschoolers, almost persecutiony type feeling, um, because nobody else really would do that unless they were interested in, in home education, Unless you said a child was um, you know had special special needs and really needed to be at home for a day a week.
2: Yeah, it, 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 it is strange. Given the other problems that we have within our education system, and there was a report, for example, published in Scotland uh, a couple of weeks ago, which said that in, in looking at all of the legislation that has been passed by British governments over the last 50 years, none of that legislation in schools has made one iota of difference in improving the educational lot of those from disadvantaged families. Mm-hmm. Now, given that report, if I was education secretary, I think I'd be a little bit more worried about that report's findings than actually some of this nonsense about flexi-schooling and so on and so forth, which you're absolutely right, you know, is impacting a tiny, tiny minority of, of people.
1: Mm. And it's also at the discretion of the school.
2: Well, completely. I mean, the current situation is, leave it, you know, leave it to the heads to make a decision. It isn't even that parents have a right to demand flexi-schooling and heads are up in arms because they're being forced to implement it. Mm. The current situation is, if a head doesn't want to do it, a head doesn't have to do it. Yeah. So there's a sense in which we're actually fighting a crisis or a problem which doesn't actually exist very much at all.
1: No, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you so much for that. Uh, We have to go on a really short break, but when we come back, we'll continue with a slightly different aspect to our conversation. So we'll be back in just a few moments.
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why aren't my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on togynet.com. The author of the book, Help My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better. To make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on TuggyNet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenney the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney.
1: Well, I'm back with Steve Richards, and we've been talking about um, flexi-schooling, and now we're going to go into something just slightly different but still connected, um, although homeschooling or home education is um, very beneficial um, for the child whose family has decided this is the lifestyle they want to adopt. Um, Steve has been thinking about um, some of the struggles that might be occurring um, in one of these um, home education families, perhaps. Um, Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Mm, Yeah, I I think... I mean, our family situation is that uh, our children are now outside, uh, out the other end of home education, uh, and our youngest is 19, and actually is currently literally just flown off to Ghana on a mission uh, yesterday. Mm. Um, so we feel like we've got a little bit more time to reflect um, on the whole home education experience. We, we speak at conferences in the UK and we meet families. Um, and certainly both my wife and I have become increasingly concerned about the extent to which there is this huge burden being placed, particularly on mums, um, when when families are electing to to home educate their kids, um, and, and I guess we just have begun to explore what might be done to take the pressure off these mums. Um, all too often, one sort of sees the the debate as being set up as it's either all school mm-hmm. or it's all home education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that's probably a, a, an, un, an unhelpful um, split in the discussions.
1: All right. So what what would be what could be some of the um, helps? I know that your um, company does a wonderful job um, online, which might mm-hmm. ease some of the burden. Is there, is there a way that maybe, you know, homeschooling mothers who are who are struggling with what they're doing mm-hmm. could tap into something like that?
2: Well, certainly. You know, I'm I'm not on the, 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 this afternoon to sort of um, to plug or to market <laughs> more style worldwide. Far be it from me to do that. But I, I certainly think that one of the things we felt for many, many years is that that home educating mums need to be realistic about where their gifts and talents lie. Now. Sometimes you come across how much you getting mums who are convinced that they haven't got any talents and, and abilities at all. Now, you know, false modesty isn't helpful in this situation. But if one's in a situ- situation where one feels that, you know, we, one wants the children to learn French, for example, or Spanish, um, and actually there isn't anybody in the family that speaks, that speaks a language comfortably, then it's sensible to bring somebody in from the outside. Um, it's, th- there's no point at all in putting oneself through a, th- this dreadful mill of, trying to learn the language in order to teach one's children. It's never going to be good enough. Um, And and I guess it really is a case of saying, okay, where are our gifts and talents? Where can we thrive and enjoy ourselves as a family? And then where can we bring in other expertise? Whether that's somebody from our local church. I mean, for example, uh, I mean, we had, we had a chap um, at our local church who was a retired classics teacher and he taught Latin to, to, to my girls and classical civilization as well. Now, I couldn't have taught Latin. I mean, my background's in history, so I could have done the classical civilization. But he did a much better job because he was was an expert. And not just being an expert, he was absolutely infatuated with the subject. And I think that's the key thing sometimes, just bringing somebody in who knows what they're doing and is thrilled and excited to be working with children in their chosen subject. So bring people in. Um, And that buys mum some free time, either either to do something with some of the other children or even, dare one say it, to go and have some pamper time herself.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, you have, there are networks, because I know we have networks here where we could, it's not too difficult for us to find outside help if we need Mm -hmm. help. Um, You know, we have like organizations by area. So, and yeah. newsletters, and you know, sort of resources all over the place. Do you have that kind of thing there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it isn't.
2: I mean, in the UK, I mean, when we started home, home educating in the late nineteen eighties, of course, this was pre-internet, um, and, and you know, wh- whereas my children actually think that that meant we were we were living in the dark ages. Uh, <laughs> It, the internet has transformed almost everything. Um, I mean, for example, when we when we tried to purchase resources, you know, when we started and buying resources from the states, um, just just a simple thing like that was was a was a huge task. Actually, locating people um, who might be just down the road, but how do you find them? So, the internet has enabled us to to to, to establish and maintain contacts. Um, some people in the UK are in more remote areas than others, but nevertheless, they've still got access via the Internet, via the telephone and so on. Um, so there are support networks um, and they do work pretty well, um, particularly once people have actually got, that, got over that first hurdle of actually finding out what's out there.
1: So, OK, so another thing that maybe you're um, concerned about is that mum may not recognise in herself that she is stressing out because there's way too much going on. And she just thinks, well, this is what I've let myself in for and there's nothing nothing else for it.
2: Apologies about that. Um, yeah, I, I think that... Um, I, I think sometimes... Home educating mums and dads, but particularly mums, do set themselves up for um, a fall because they raise the bar so high in terms of their expectations of of what they want to be like as the, the model family. I mean, I jokingly tend to say it's a mix of Little House on the Prairie and the Waltons. Mm. Um, the trouble is, when you look at scripture, scripture is very Realistic and very earthy when it actually talks about the human condition. Um, scripture understands that we are fallen people, albeit that we've been redeemed by, by the Lord. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus, but we are fallen people, and that fallenness continues with us until the day that we pass. Now, in that situation, we need to recognize that. When we are home educating, we're doing it in a in, in a community context within within the context of the local church, which may not be entirely supportive. But nevertheless, we have got brothers and sisters there who, hopefully, do care for us. Um, I, I think the important thing is that we don't raise the bar so high that when we struggle, when we fail. The whole of our Christian life begins to unravel because we've invested everything in this home education mission
1: mm. Mm. so the um, so one of the things that perhaps a, a a family can do is is you know seek solace in church in their Bible in their um, scripture studies and realize that you know what they're doing for their child is something very very Beneficial and it's a lifestyle, and it doesn't academically have to match up. Or does it in England? Are they really under a lot of stress to take the GCSEs and get their children into colleges?
2: Well, I mean, there there, there is some there is some pressure in in, in that one has a local authority inspector who comes out to visit a family, and, and clearly some inspectors will will put pressure on families. But in my experience. The, the, the greater pressure is actually placed on families by the families themselves, yeah. and one of the things that does concern me is that when i mean my, when my youngest lad was was being home educated and my wife would would, would have meetings with christian home educating families and with non christian home educating families, one of the things that disturbed both of us was that, that actually there was sometimes far more peace amongst the non-Christian home educating families than there was amongst the Christian home educating families who felt under enormous pressure to achieve in terms of academic prowess, to achieve grades and so on and so forth. Whereas the non-Christian families seems to see this whole process as something akin to a holistic experience. And if they get the exams, they get the exams. If they don't get the exams, they go to college later and they do it that way. Um, I, 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 it did cause us a lot of concern that actually... Whereas the Christians should be the ones at peace. The Christians should be the ones who are comfortable with their choice and enjoying the lifestyle that they've embraced. Often mm. wasn't the case.
1: Mm, that's very interesting because I, I have, I have um, come across a lot of, well, homeschoolers here in America who are unschoolers, and I find that the unschoolers aren't Christians. Yeah. And that the rigid, more rigid homeschoolers are.
0: Yeah. So yeah. that
1: I, that's interesting, isn't it? That's a, that's an interesting thing to think about because you're finding the same thing in England, and I think I agree with you because a lot of the English um, homeschool um, community are very radical unschoolers, mm-hmm. aren't they? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I and I do
2: know, you know, I know some Christians who are thoroughly uncomfortable with the whole unschooling model. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sometimes I think one has to sort of strip away some of the, some of the vocabulary. And, and unschooling may be an unhelpful term mm. in, within the Christian community. Mm. But nevertheless, um, uh, I actually think that as I've reflected more and more on how we approach education with our children um, and, and the difference we had between our, our, our three girls and then we had Nine Year Gap and then we had our son um, – we became much more unschooly with our son than ever we were with the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was partly because we were more at ease, but partly because we realized that education is much more about what goes on almost atmospherically within the family rather than in terms of, in terms of bookish learning. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that we can learn a lot from. Um, the unschool, unschooling community without actually sort of buying into the whole lifestyle that they seem to have been, they seem to have started off the discussion.
1: Yeah yeah. well, maybe it has something to do with discipleship and being called to teach our children teach our children. You know, that word, as you're saying, Uh the vocabulary, because if you go back and look in Deuteronomy, it says teach your children as you walk along the road, as you're, you know, just by example, more than sit down and have them memorize and learn and, you know, all that that hard work.
2: I I think that's the crux of the matter. I think if one looks at that passage in Deuteronomy, one actually has um, an educational method built in there, which most of us as Christians have avoided like the plague. The trouble is, most Christians, even those who embrace embrace home education, we have a natural tendency to skew back to our own learning experience when we were at at school. And um, that is thoroughly unhelpful for us. It is always unhelpful, but it's fully understandable. But if one looks at that passage in Deuteronomy and one sees about that whilst you're laying down, whilst you're walking, whilst you're sitting, um, what's going on there? is almost learning by osmosis. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, if we reflect on that for a moment, it is by far the most powerful learning model that there is out there. Mm -hmm. The model which says that one has an adult standing in front of children, whether it's 30 children or whether it's two or three children, and delivering a lesson sort of didactically, Mm -hmm. that is a much poorer model of learning than anything that uh, is is discussed in that Deuteronomy passage. Mm. Um, And the more we reflect on that passage, um, the more we realize that this is actually God's perfect way of imparting learning. But the word teaching has been grabbed (laughs) by those people who are strong school advocates. I have to be frank with you here. The term homeschooling is, is a term which I can understand why it's important in an American context because of the legal framework, but it is not a term that would ever pass my lips in any conventional conversation. Home-based learning, I think, is a much stronger term, mm-hmm. even though it's, it's a bit long, um, because actually I don't want school in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, what I, what I want is a learning environment where we're all learning not because somebody's teaching me, but because somebody has engineered a situation where I am picking things up.
1: Mm, that's right. That's right. Um, I'm I'm thinking more about your your differentiation between your your secular homeschool um, groups and your Christian homeschool groups being you know sort of happier in their their themselves. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, you know, what the ones who are the radical unschoolers who have decided because we've talked about this that you know your are groups are usually um, people who are completely against any kind of institutional learning. And so right. that's why they're homeschooling or home educating their children, right. they don't want to do it the same way that they had yeah. it done because they, they didn't like that. Whereas right. perhaps Christians go into it more because they feel they're called by God. This is what they have been called to do, you know, to take charge of their children's education. Mm. And mm. they just take they, they just enter into it with a completely different mindset.
2: Yeah, I, I think you've hit, you've hit the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. I think that for, for, for many of the the, the, the radical uh, de-schoolers, um, what they're reacting against in, in, in large measure is, is, a method, is a methodological approach. Yeah. Um, now, what Christians are reacting against often is uh, a worldview approach. Yeah. So, actually, they're not they're not intrinsically opposed to the methodology. What they're what they're opposed to is what the met- methodology is teaching. Ie, it's content driven. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of their reaction. Um, now, that's that's super. You know, and, and they're absolutely right to 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 be against um, a secular humanistic approach to curriculum. Um, What I think we need to do more radically is actually say, okay, well, we've dismissed that, but let's look at the methodology as well, because no methodology is neutral in itself either.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, you know what? This conversation could go on for a (laughs) long time, but that that is really interesting, and I hope it's um, offered some seed for thought to some of my listeners who, you know, may may be approaching. Um, the education of their children in a, in a slightly too rigid a way that causes mm-hmm. them stress that is unnecessary yeah. just let go and let god that's what we say here
2: <laughs> in short hand, absolutely
1: yes yes well mm-hmm. i've been talking to um steve richards uh with north star worldwide thank you so much steve for joining me this afternoon and um you have a wonderful weekend and i know that we will talk we'll be talking again
2: Thanks very much indeed, Vivian. You have a good weekend
1: as well. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye Bye-bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler. And we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenney. the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenney.
1: I hope you enjoyed my chat with Steve Richards this afternoon and wonder what you think about the reason non-Christian home-based learners seem more at peace with their children's progress than their Christian counterparts. Steve is a founding member of one of the home education groups in England called Home Service, and we met while I was over there taking care of my mother's estate and waiting out my youngest daughter's completion of her final year at a performing arts school. You can listen to our previous conversations at Toginet Radio all you have to do is go to the Social Homeschooler podcasts for December the 9th, 2011 and March the 23rd, 2012. Steve and his wife, Lynn, are directors of North Star Worldwide, a community of learners and tutors who use the Internet to study together. As a couple, they homeschooled their own children and are able to offer first-hand support and resources to homeschooling families all over the world. Go to their website, www northstarworldwide.org to find out more well out of the blue i find myself taking a trip to new york tough life for the mum of a wannabe dancer Dortz asked if she could audition in that faraway city and i asked her if she had the money and of course the answer was no well you must be making some money nannying i counted well it's all going into my savings except for what i keep to pay you she said then you're thinking that once it's hit savings, it's gone, I asked, smiling. Well, pretty much, yes. Good girl, I thought. I discussed the prospective jaunt to the Big Apple with her pops, and he agreed that it would be good experience and an opportunity for her, if I didn't mind going. Twist my arm, I said, laughing, so that's where we're off to. And hardship of hardships? Because of spring break, I'm guessing here. We can't get home till Monday. Darn it. What will we do for two days in that big city? The money we saved by using miles will be eaten up in hotel rooms, but there's nothing we can do about it except enjoy it or cancel the trip. And my gallant gentleman just said, just forget the price and have fun. There are some advantages to having an almost empty nest, and one of them is a little bit of wiggle space financially. For the first couple of years of homeschooling, I made a conscious effort to ensure for myself and my children that there was a difference between the week and the weekend. Unlike the character Maggie Smith plays in Downton Abbey. Have any of you seen that series? It's great. I didn't want to sail through my weeks and months without what she declared as weekend. What's a weekend? Referring to a comment Matthew made when he was first introduced to the family as the heir to the estate. You have to see the show. I'm not like the landed gentry of the early 20th century who were in a world of their own and didn't feel it necessary to distinguish the days. As a thoroughly modern homeschooler, I'm affected by the rhythm of the hours going on around me. So back in the day, I had to make a difference in my home. Plus, I wanted a difference too, a break-in routine, a time when we could upset the apple cart of schedules." I've already talked about times of day and public school holidays. And this week, I'm going to finish up my reflection by reminiscing on the weekends. My blue-eyed cowboy and I would send the children to their rooms on a Saturday evening, not to bed, but to do something quiet together or separately. We'd go, they'd go about 6.30. When they were older, they watched a film. At a young age, they put together puzzles, read, coloured, or listened to a recording of me reading their favourite stories. During this time, we'd have a glass of wine and spend quality time in the kitchen cooking with classical music playing. At about eight, they'd clamber into bed on their own. When they'd all fallen asleep, we'd often get a visitor who'd struggled to stay awake, to share our gourmet meal. By now, we'd moved out into the dining room and had candles and fine china on the table. Mostly, it was the same child, the younger one of the boys. Occasionally his older brother would manage to stay awake too just to see what we were up to and we'd see him sitting at the top of the stairs waiting for an invitation. Among the siblings this was a well-kept secret that didn't come out until they were much older and began comparing childhood notes. Have you ever noticed how each child has his or her own special story? Sundays in our house dawned bright and early and we were all dressed and in the car by 7.30 for 8 o'clock mass. Second breakfast was had at a nearby restaurant, and these were hallowed outings. The children had their favorite meals brought to them by smiling waitresses. They didn't have to have what everyone else had. One of my sons always ordered spaghetti at the IHOP we went to. Why is beyond me. He'd have pancakes or eggs, pigs in a blanket or biscuits and gravy anywhere else, but not at the IHOP. They learned how to behave in restaurants, order their food, read a menu, pay the bill, calculate the tip. And if we didn't go out, we'd come home to make homemade cinnamon rolls or sausage biscuits and gravy made by me, the English transplant, who'd never heard of such fare while living in London and other more exotic places. The rest of Sunday would be taken up with games with their Texan papa. He was much more boisterous than me. Haya was a favourite, and I'm not explaining it, but it involved running and hurling and lots of screaming. As they got older, we changed up the weekend activities to include car maintenance and cleaning, driving lessons, grocery shopping with all four of them assigned to an area of the store. This was especially useful when we shopped once every six weeks and loaded up several baskets. Meal planning for the week happened on these non-school days. And for a while there, we also cooked four meals to go in the fridge to make the lunchtime preparations during the week go faster and to allow us to have our main meal at noon instead of at the end of the day when extracurricular activities exploded and no one was ever at home at the same time. We were able to tell the difference between the work week and the weekend simply by not doing what we did during the week on those days, except eating and sleeping, of course. As with other homeschooling families, we've had time to sit around each other and say nothing or everything. We've had time to be irritated, pouty, sad, or tired. We've sprawled on the floor and napped together, fed the ducks every day if we wanted to, waded in the creek, oh, many things. And as they grew older and I grew mellower and less uptight about getting things done on time and putting myself under the gun or else, or else what, I found I was there when they really needed me to listen when my daughter had a falling out with her best friend and wanted a shoulder to cry on now, and to continue listening as the saga developed another twist, to hug when my son came home after a rare bad day at work, to laugh with over a funny story about a missed cue at the theatre, to advise when a counsellor suggests a course of action for college classes. These dramas have a way of becoming unresolved if there isn't an available pair of ears or encircling arms the moment they are needed, And I'm not saying I was always there at all times for all crises of my children's life. I leave that mammoth task to God. But I am saying, as my children grew accustomed to using me as a great and wise sounding board, they now turn to me first because I've taken the time to create a close relationship with them. They tend to tell me a lot. Sometimes they tell me too much. I don't judge. I just listen. That's what they need. After all, I've known them all their life. I know them better than anyone else in the world. When my Skype is unavailable, they know they can talk to me whenever, and they do. And I put everything aside to listen, important or not. Mom, guess who I just saw at Starbucks? Or how do I deal with my best friend who owes me money? There have been rare times when I've had to cut them off, when my show's just starting and they called for a lengthy chat, for example. Then they're surprised and a little put out, but only for a moment they remember that most of the time I'm there. And talking about being there, we've seen darts on television. That's quite an adrenaline boost. You can catch a glimpse of her too in the second season of the new series of Dallas. Remember JR and Sue Ellen, Bobby and Miss Ellie? Since my blue eyes and I have been extras, we're on the lookout for our scenes and one of them for me happened this week. But all I could see was the back of my head. No sign of my Texan, even though he was sitting right next to me in the bar where we filmed early, early in the morning. Then we're not the stars. In the preview for next week's show, I did catch a glimpse of the back of my head again, but no sign of my gentleman. He was standing right behind one of the main characters. I laughed and told him at least he was facing the right way towards the camera for his cameo, unlike me. Dort is all over the place, however, as recurring extra for Ewing energies she's glimpsed almost every week now. The stills she can pull from the shows with her in a camera shot with one of the stars are quite impressive. Next week, my filmmaker son says, the three of us are all over the place. He wanted to know if we were having a watch party. I laughed. (laughs) Well, it is time for me to leave you for another week. I'm off to New York, as I said for three nights in a hotel in Soho. So wish me luck, and I hope I have lots of fun, and I need to remember to take lots of warm clothes. I'll be back with another heady show for you, same time, same place, next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at TokiNet Radio, my guest this week, Steve Richards, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah Joel, Rosemary, Kathleen, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Don't forget to listen to my friend Ali Lepreet on Mondays at seven. This little parent stayed home and Sandy Fowler at Hartfield Holidays, also on Monday at one, both of them central times. Better yet, stay tuned in all the time and catch lots of great shows to glide you through your day. Take care and be safe this weekend. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you
0: and give you peace. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children ages 24 to 18 who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com.